It wasn't long ago that the subject of spiritual gifts was all the rage in some Christian churches. People were taking inventories of their own spiritual gifts. How many do you have? How does one attain more? 1 Corinthians 12 seems to be the go-to chapter for New Testament teaching on this topic. Maybe you haven't even given any thought to these questions. Maybe the spiritual gifts of the first century were not meant for the 21st century. Let's talk about spiritual gifts on today's edition of Craving Answers, Craving God. I'm Chuck Rathard with Aaron Miller. Aaron is the pastor of St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. Aaron, one of our listeners suggested this topic. Why do you suppose he thought this might be a good subject for discussion on our podcast? Uh, well, I don't, I don't know. Without, I know you're not a person. mind reader, but uh, right. what do you think? There's a couple of reasons why people s- seem to like to talk about this topic. Uh, one is that genuinely interested in, um. The, the Holy Spirit and what Christians believe about the Holy Spirit and what his role is in the life of the Christian church. What does it feel like to have the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do from the day to day in the day-to-day life of, of um, a Christian believer? Um, how can the Holy Spirit help me? Some people some Christians might ask, how can the Holy Spirit help me to be a better Christian or to to serve and love others better. Uh, that's one one reason. The second reason is um, people, and this is less so now than it was. It seemed like this was kind of hot 20 or 30 years ago, in my experience. Probably go back a little bit longer than that. Um, people are interested in the so-called charismatic gifts of the Spirit, speaking in tongues and um, healings and prophesying and stuff like that. It's probably back in the 1960s, early 1970s, that there was what's been called a charismatic renewal in large portions of the church, which itself goes back to um, some charismatic uh, revivals out on the West Coast and uh, up in Canada from 100 years or so ago. And so that was really kind of a hot topic when I was growing up in the 1980s and 90s um, about, uh, you know, are these for today? And uh, should you be trying to use these? You know, should, should should you try to speak in tongues or prophesy or heal? And uh, some Christians are still sort of interested in that topic. So maybe it was one of those two reasons. Well, if I go to First Corinthians twelve, where Paul says, "quote There are varieties of gifts," is that the good a good place to start? Uh, sure. Yeah. First Corinthians twelve. Yep. All right, let's read uh, verses 4 through 10 in 1 Corinthians 12. Paul writes, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Now here's where it gets 60s and 70s, to use your context. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation 
of tongues. I think there are nine of them there. And for some people, this is on the periphery of their Christian experience. They've read this text. They've heard this text. Don't think about it too much. For others, this is there are some people who would say, if you're not doing these things, you're probably not a Christian. So there's a, a diversity there of opinions on this text. How do you view it? Well, it's obviously important. It's it's important enough that Paul talks about it in First Corinthians, like you say, but also in Romans and in Ephesians. And uh, so it's it's actually, I mean, I mean, there's I guess there's two mistakes that you could make. One is to not talk about it at all. Which, of course, as somebody who believes that the Bible is God's word to us, that that would be, obviously, I would say that's a huge mistake. The other mistake would be to imagine that Paul is outlining and crafting a concrete, actionable plan for how Christians should live when he gives us a list of spiritual gifts. I don't think he's doing that at all. I don't think he's saying, here's a list, you need to discover which one is yours and then go do it. Um, we are to use spiritual gifts as Christians. The Holy Spirit does give those gifts. Uh, we are to seek the higher gifts, he says. I, I don't think that a list like this is exhaustive. I don't think he's saying everything he can say about the spiritual gifts. That's not the point. He's not, does, he's not uh, again, to, to go back to the 1990s, if I can, the Cosmos-style quizzes where you you know, you know figure out, you do an assessment and figure out what your spiritual gift is. I, I think those are largely unhelpful. Um, they, they can maybe tap you into a little bit of how God has designed you personally with, with different personality traits and gifts. I think that's something different, though, than a spiritual gift. The Holy Spirit will work through people's personalities and, and, and actual talents and skills and things like that. But what the Spirit decides to do is up to the Spirit. And um, I, I just find it largely unhelpful to, to kind of try and dig in and like do tests and figure out what my spiritual gift is. Okay, so this is what I'm supposed to be doing in the church. I'm going to be, I have the gift of helps. And so I'm going to be a helper. Um, well, yeah, I mean, but shouldn't we all be doing that? I have the gift of wisdom, and so I'm going to be wise. Okay, so that that's good. There are people definitely who are more wise than others, and that's a Holy Spirit thing within the Christian church. But but shouldn't we all be wise? And so the notion that like I'm going to lock myself into this gift and that's going to define me, it, it's I I have the same sort of trouble with people who. You know, do the Myers Briggs assessments, or do the, you know figure out what they are on the Enneagram, and then use that to completely shape and form their identity. These things are very, very helpful, very, very helpful. But um, there's a wrong way to use them, and, and the wrong way to use the spiritual gifts, I think, would be to say, "Well, this is the whole Christian life, and I'm going to figure out what my gift is and lock myself into that." I don't think that's what Paul's interested in in First Corinthians 12. I could be wrong. Uh, frequently am, but I get the sense that, at least as you described it in decades past, uh, this turned into a kind of a checklist for people. There are nine spiritual gifts, gifts listed here in 1 Corinthians 12. Put them on your piece of paper and review it. Yeah, I think I got this one. No, I don't have this one. Check, check, check. No check, no check. 
So go to work on the ones that are unchecked is kind of the feel that I think some people have had. Am I close? Or is that just passe now, maybe even not on the radar anymore? Yeah, that's less. People are less interested now in that than they were back then. Is that a good thing that they're less interested now? Well, it just dep- it goes back to my I mean, two. you said it was unuseful to, that's what I heard you say, it was unuseful to go down that path, get highly focused on these individual gifts. and It can be useful if, if seen the right way. If it locks you, like I, uh, I'm not saying that Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram are the same as spiritual gifts. I'm talking about the assessment tests that people use to discover these things. They can be useful to point up certain features about oneself, the way God has created you specifically. If it locks you into this is my identity, then it can be dangerous. Uh, dangerous is maybe maybe too strong. I don't know. Maybe dangerous is fine. I actually, in my personal experience, going back, and I remember being in high school and doing you know, one of these assessments, and it's largely like ignorable. You do it, and you think, oh, that's okay. Maybe that's my spiritual gift, whatever the test spits out. And then you kind of go about your life, and it doesn't really, um, it di- at least in my case, it didn't really affect me too much. I think what we need to do is to, to dig down deep in Scripture. There's two pieces here. Digging down deep in Scripture to, to know the heart and mind of God, and then doing that in community. Because the spiritual gifts always work in community. They're all about community. And if we keep on reading and you know, whatever the Romans or first Corinthians or Ephesians or first Peter, when the spiritual gifts are discussed, it is always done for the betterment of the body of Christ. It's always done for the community. And for Americans, it's hard to think about these sorts of, you know, spiritual gift assessment without thinking, what does this mean for me? And that that's, that's really the completely wrong notion of scripture. It's not, the, you know, the gift isn't yours. The gift is something that God has given you to better the body of Christ and to serve our neighbors. And um, the best thing to do is not to take a test, to go home by yourself, think about who you are, think about what you're about, and then take a test to discover who you are. The best thing to do is to actually get into Christian community and figure out in the life of the community, as it sits in the middle of God's word, as it sits in the middle of sacramental life, and figure out how has God shaped and formed me to love and serve other people. That's the best way to figure out who your gifts are, is actually in community, not by taking some sort of test. I'm wondering if maybe we have an emphasis problem here in 1 Corinthians 12. Certainly, we don't want to disregard the list of uh, spiritual gifts that Paul gives here. But he says in verse 7, before he makes that list, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And then in verse 8, he says, for to one is given through the Spirit. And he goes on and says at least three other times, through the Spirit or of the Spirit, suggesting that the focus of this is not so much the individual gifts, which yes. can and do exist, but... The focus is the Holy Spirit, yes. and maybe if I've gotten myopic on thinking about and making a list of the individual gifts, maybe I've missed the point. I, I, th- I think that's very well said. I think that's exactly right. For the common good, he says, the, the whole point is, I mean, there, there are a diversity of spiritual gifts, but there's only one Spirit. 
There's only one Lord. There's only one faith. There's only one baptism. There's only one body of Christ. And if we think of our spiritual gifts as our, if we think of them primarily as being about us, I'm just repeating kind of what you just said here, Chuck, then we're missing the point. We're missing the point. And in fact, it's important too that that we frame, you, you were, you've been reading from 1 Corinthians 12, it's important to, to remember that 1 Corinthians 12 leads into, Paul talks about spiritual gifts, and he discusses the spiritual gifts, and at the very end of that discussion, he says, and I will show you a still more excellent way, and then he goes right into this classic chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, about love. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clang someone others. If I've got a spiritual gift of speaking in tongues, but I don't have love, the gift is pointless. If I have prophetic powers, he says, if I have the gift of prophecy, spiritual gift of prophecy, and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, I've got the gift of wisdom or knowledge. And if I have all faith, I have the spiritual gift of faith. These are all gifts he mentioned back in chapter 12, but um, I don't have love, I'm nothing. And he goes on to say that basically this is the heart. Like if you don't ever in your, in your life think about what is my spiritual gift, but you are living in the body of Christ with love for your sisters and brothers, if you are living in the middle of God's word, you are going to be shaped and transformed. You are going to have a spiritual gift. That's a way better way of thinking about it and of getting to what your spiritual gift is than thinking, what am I good at? Which is important. I mean, the Holy Spirit will use that. But it's not the main thing. It's, it's, we have to guard against, as we talk about so often here, our American individualism and how that affects the way we think about who we are. It's better to think, I'm actually a part of a body. I'm actually not a solo individual. I'm, I'm a knee. I'm an elbow. I'm an eye as a part of a body. And so my responsibility, my identity, in fact, is tied up with who these other people are I mean, I, I, maybe I've said this in here before. This is kind of a sociological way of saying it, but it's got truth. It has to do with the gifts of the Spirit. We aren't who we think we are. You, 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 we don't know ourselves. We aren't who other people think we are. Other people don't even know us either. Like even the people that know us the most don't know us completely. Who we are is who we think other people think we are. So we're not who we are. We think we are. We're not who other people think we are. We are who we think other people think we are. And sociologically, what this means is, is that when you're in seventh grade and you tell a joke and nobody laughs, you figure out pretty fast, I'm not the funny guy. When you crack wise and tell jokes in seventh grade and your classmates laugh, you figure out, I am the funny guy. You don't get to decide, I'm the funny guy or I'm not the funny guy. You really are dependent upon how other people respond to you how you fit in within your community. And um, the spiritual gifts, there's an analogy here, and that is you, you will learn how the Holy Spirit has gifted you and how the Holy Spirit is using you, not on your own, not looking at your cell phone taking a, a Cosmo-style assessment quiz, but actually living life with other human beings and seeing how does who I am and who God created me and the way the Holy Spirit is using me benefit other people what do I do that doesn't work? There are certain things that I personally do in the life of my Christian communities where I know this is not working. I'm not very good at this. I'm actually botching things up. I need to leave this. I need to support other people in doing this, this particular task. There are things that I do 
where it lights me up inside, I can tell it actually benefits other people and uh, they respond to me with, oh, that's really helpful. That's kind of how you figure out your spiritual gift. You have to do it in community. So in reference to 1 Corinthians 13, the famous love chapter, um, Paul says, if I have these gifts and do not have love. Right. So love is something you can have, but love, as Paul uses it, may not necessarily be the same thing as love the way we use it in our society or in our culture. Is the love that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians a gift from God? Yeah. I mean, everything's a gift from God. Every good thing is a gift from God. I wouldn't try and separate it and say it's a special kind of, I mean, there, I wouldn't say it's something magical. It's, I mean, he goes on to describe it. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't envy or boast. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things. In other words, it's selfless. Yeah. It's turned out towards other people. Yeah. Which in the culture, I would go so far as to say, when I say, man, I love golf, that's not a selfless expression of love. That's because golf does for me the things that I want it to do. Yeah. It serves me, and that's why I love it. That's not the same love that Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 13. And And the main question I'm driving at here is, in order to understand the gifts of 1 Corinthians 12... We have to have a proper understanding of the gift of love in 1 Corinthians 13. He uses that chapter to set up 13. Yeah. Yet how many of us who call ourselves Christians understand that if you have that love, the only reason you have it is because God gave it to you. Right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that goes without saying within Christian life is that all these gifts are gifts of God. Sure, yeah. All these gifts are gifts of God. Yep, the gift of love, the spiritual gifts are gifts of God. It all comes from him and flows through us by his power and then back to him for his glory. So, yeah, absolutely. The, the type of, I, I can say this about what you're saying, which I, I really find helpful, Chuck, is that um, the, the gift of, the, the spiritual gifts must be outward turned. It, they must be selfless. It's never perfect, of course, because we're still broken people and, they are at their best when they are turned outwards towards others. That's when we're we're at we're, we're at our best, is when we're loving other people, and that's a gift of God. The, the, to to not love myself, to not love my wife in the sense that I love golf, although that's true too. You know, I, I mean, my my wife does give me pleasure. My kids do give me pleasure. Golf does give me pleasure. Cheeseburgers do give me pleasure. But to love my wife and my kids and my community, my neighbors, my church family, to love them for their sake, to love them not for my own benefit, but because they benefit and to find my benefit in their being benefited, that's a gift of God. And it's what, what, this is what God is doing to heal his world is um, you know, we, we, we turned in on ourselves when we rebelled against him. And now he's turning us by the power of his Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. He's turning us back outside of ourselves towards him, towards a relationship with him, and towards each other. This is what it means to be saved. It doesn't mean 
get out of hell free. It doesn't mean going to heaven. Those are all secondary issues. It's being rescued from the prison of our own selfishness. So yeah, it's a good point to say that this is all a gift of God. This is not, We're not talking about something that anybody can muster up in themselves. Although Paul does insist in 1 Corinthians 12, 21, earnestly desire the higher gifts. So it's something that he doesn't just say, we'll just sit back passively and I'll zap you with it. It's something to work on, but at the end of the day, it is a gift of God. Let's go to Romans 12. I'll read verses 4 through 8. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So here's another list of gifts, maybe not quite as famous as 1 Corinthians 12. This one seems more practical and less spectacular. So what if I were to say, well, 1 Corinthians 12 was written more for the early church and Romans 12 is a better fit for today. What would you say? Uh, There's nothing in 1 Corinthians or Romans which would lead us to believe that Paul was saying, okay, this is for now. 1 Corinthians is for now. Romans, I'm writing that for later. There's nothing in there that would say that. Um, I think that we make a mistake if we try to figure out, so what are the spiritual gifts, Paul? You give give us a different list. Is stuff changing? I think the better way to look at it is Paul does not give an exhaustive list anywhere. He's, He's not sitting down and thinking like, what are all the spiritual gifts? My guess is that there's an infinite number of spiritual gifts, that it's very unique to each individual in the way the Holy Spirit works in their life within their particular community. Um, I don't think, yeah, so those lists aren't exhaustive. In fact, uh, there's one famous list in 1 Peter 4, verse 11, where uh, Peter says there's two gifts. For those who have the gift of speaking, speak as an oracle of God. For those who have the gift of serving, he says, uh, serve to the glory of God or something like that. I, 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 I'm forgetting what the last part of that, that verse is. But basically he's saying there's speaking gifts and serving gifts. And if you look at all the lists, they kind of you can fit this as a gift that people use their mouth to do, teaching, uh, wisdom, prophesying. And there's gifts of service. There's administration, help, healing, whatever. And if you want to, that's the most exhaustive list we have, if you want to think of it like that, is the smallest list we have in 1 Peter 4.11. So it's the gifts of speaking and serving. The main thing in, in those lists is that they are gifts for others. Paul prefaces, and I hinted around to this earlier, you mentioned it in, in, in the Romans reading that you just did. Paul loves the image of the body, Christ as a body, Jesus as a body, and all of us who are Christians as parts of that body, you know, hands, feet, elbows. And what that means is we live lives of service to each other because we are all part of the same body of Christ. And what I do serving the rest of the body benefits me because I'm a part of that body too. So the hand picks up the Twinkie and lifts it up to the mouth and, and, and the, the mouth opens and eats the Twinkie, and the tongue is delighted. 
The hand doesn't get any of that delight. The hand doesn't feel the same pleasure. The hand is basically working to serve the tongue. But because the mouth and the tongue chew up food and eat it, the hand continues to exist. The hand gets strength. Maybe not from a Twinkie. It's probably a bad analogy. Uh, Maybe we should have the hand lifting up a protein shake or something like that. But the hand continues to exist and to get stronger because it benefits. Selfishly, the hand could say, oh, what does this have to do with me? This is just a waste of, like, why am I living my life for the rest of this body? That would actually be to the detriment of the hand, which this is the position we found our culture in because we've rebelled against God and turned in on ourselves because now this is just ramped up to the extreme in our postmodern culture where you live for yourself and you follow your own heart and you do what you think is right and other people should adjust to you. Because of that, we're all slowly dying. We're all like hands that refuse to lift the food to the mouth and now the hand is withering and we're frustrated. If we were a part of a body, if we were a part of the body of Christ, we would be growing and thriving through service of Jesus and through service of each other. I, I love that image in Romans. But, but basically, get to, to get back to your original question, I guess circle back to your original thought was, there is no exhaustive list. It would be a mistake to try to find an exhaustive list unless you want to find it in 1 Peter 4, which is so general that it covers all the topics, but it loses the specificity of telling you individual gifts. But I, I find that helpful. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 12, beginning at verse 28, Paul writes, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? He doesn't answer those rhetorical questions, but I think the answer is no. It's implied no, yeah. All don't possess all these things. Then he finishes with, but as you had mentioned earlier, earnestly desire the higher gift. Yeah. So I'm going to sort of assume that the higher gifts gifts are listed first here when he talks about he's given apostles and et cetera. Is that right? Or, okay, let's prioritize here. What are the higher gifts? Um, I, what would help us is if, and what would help our listener is if you grab your Bible and you read through First Corinthians eleven through fourteen, because all this is a part of a larger extended argument for Paul's. So he's earnestly desire the higher gifts. So first of all, he wants to validate the presence of spiritual gifts, and then he says earnestly desire the higher gifts. Okay, what are those? Then he goes to love in chapter thirteen. Love is the foundation. Without love, the spiritual gifts are worthless. And then in 1 Corinthians 14, he's going to talk about speaking in tongues and prophecy. And what he says there is is that both are valid spiritual gifts. Speaking in tongues is a gift of the Holy Spirit to his church. Prophecy, also a gift of the Holy Spirit to his church. But he argues there that prophecy is actually a higher gift Because while speaking in tongues benefits the one who speaks in tongues personally, he says, I often pray in tongues, Paul says. And he calls it praying in the Spirit, singing in the Spirit. It doesn't benefit the body because they can't understand the language that the one who's speaking and praying and singing is using. So it benefits, it edifies, he says, the one who's speaking in tongues, but it doesn't edify the body. 
The better gift, he says, is the gift of prophecy because since everybody can understand it, it benefits the whole group. And what he's saying there is this. He's not saying that, spirit, that speaking in tongues is bad or that you shouldn't do it. He's saying that the best gifts, let me put it this way, gifts are meant to be used for the body. And if the spiritual gift that God has given you is being used for yourself only, there's nothing wrong with, God has given me a gift of teaching. There's nothing wrong with me enjoying that gift. Absolutely nothing wrong. But if the whole purpose in my head of having the gift of teaching is to serve myself, I'm completely botching it. Instead, I should think of my gift as being for others. Prophecy in the congregation benefits the whole congregation, which you can see how this, this, is, this rests on his 1 Corinthians 13 bit, the, the argument that love is at the heart of these things. And if you don't have love, the spiritual gifts are worthless. If you have the gift of tongues, but you don't have love, it's not, there's no point to it. If you have the gift of tongues and you're willing to love and serve your neighbor with that gift, which in 1 Corinthians 14 means speak in tongues out loud in the congregation, if there's somebody to interpret it to benefit the whole congregation, then that's great. If not, enjoy and use it on your own, but earnestly be desiring the gifts that you can use to serve others. And so the higher gifts are the ones that are more apt to serve others. I got to ask you this question. I don't know if it fits in the context of our conversation so far, but here goes. Ephesians 4 verses 11 and 12 say, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now you fit into this list. You're a shepherd. You're a shepherd of God's flock can you equip me to be better at working of miracles? That's what I want, Pastor. I want to be able to just do a few miracles. Um, the question would be, why do you want those? Why do you want that gift? No, I ask the questions. You don't. <laughs> well, I'm not expecting you to answer here. <laughs> oh, okay, just, good. Because I'm assuming that you, uh, you've never mentioned this to me before, Chuck, so I'm assuming it's a hypothetical. Um, maybe it's not. But the question would be, why do you want the gift of miracle? We find in Scripture that people who seek the gift of miracle for the sake of self are uh, uh, not looked upon kindly. There's there's a, a guy in the book of Acts who comes to the apostles and says, hey, I, I like that, that you lay hands on people and they receive the Holy Spirit and people are healed. Hey, how much how much will you take for that? You know, like, I'll give you money. And they, they harshly condemn rebuked. It. Very rebuked, yeah. So, but... That, that kind of thing, the gift of healing, it's the, I, I know a guy who's got the gift of healing and um, uh, people have been healed through his prayers, through the laying on of his hands. It's something that happened to him in the course of his relationship with other people. It wasn't something that he thought, okay, I'm going to do this. Let's, how do I get this? It happened to him in the course of necessity. He prayed for somebody who was sick. They were healed. It happened to him in community, not just the people he was serving, but wise people that he sought for guidance and counseling as he as he exercised this gift. Um, so it's my job to help the people in my congregation be equipped to do the work of the ministry, like you read from Ephesians 4. Uh, but that will differ in every sort of instance. If somebody comes to me and they say, uh, I, just, I, I want the gift of administration, can you help me? I would say, well... Yeah, let's pray about that. Uh, you know, again, why do you want that? Is it is it to glorify yourself, or is is there a need 
that has arisen up in your communal life where that's necessary. If that's the case, if it's very sort of organic in a Holy Spirit-centered way, I'd say, well, yeah, let's see if that's something that let's see if that's something that God has equipped you to do. And, you know, help them to figure out. When I try to administer a certain ministry or a certain part of church life or a certain part of community life, is it successful? Is God using me? Or am I making things harder for the people who this is supposed to help? If I'm making things harder for them, I might want the gift of administration, but a wise leader, a wise pastor will say, let's see if there's something else that God's leading and directing you to do. He might be leading you to somebody who actually has the gift of administration. You might need it, yeah, yeah, which would be totally appropriate and a very normal thing that happens in communal life. So let's just sum up here. What if I were to say, keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, do that, and the Holy Spirit will equip you with the right spiritual gifts at the right time for the right kingdom reasons. Could it be just that simple? Uh, Yeah, it could be. I'm going to add another piece there or make it explicit. There's the communal piece. For Americans to hear keeping your eyes on Jesus, that's like me personally. I'm going to go home and have my devotions. You know, I'm going to kneel down beside my bed and really think about Jesus. In the Bible, though, you can't keep your eyes on Jesus outside of community. So I would add that piece as well to it. Like, Keep your eyes on Jesus. Be focused on him and his word. Do it in community. Do it where other people are going to like give you the cues that the Holy Spirit's working in your life to have benefited me in this way, done in community. It is, it is that simple. But we also should, I also would like to say too, there is that bit at the end of 1 Corinthians 12 about earnestly desiring that the Holy Spirit, the beginning of 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says that the, the Spirit apportions the gift as he desires. But then he says, earnestly desire the higher gifts. And there's, both those things are true. Jesus, the Holy Spirit through Jesus does give us the gifts, but we are to work at them as well. We are to desire them. It's not something that just gets zapped into you. It happens in practice. It happens in community. As you, you know, if you have the gift of teaching, it happens as you practice teaching, as you work on it. The gift of healing is the same way. The gift of helps is the same way. You, whether it's speaking or service, it happens as we practice those things in community. So yes, keeping your eyes on Jesus, do it with your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the way to grow in the spiritual gifts. You've been listening to Craving Answers, Craving God. Today's topic was suggested by one of our dear listeners. If you'd like to suggest a topic, use the email address contactus at stjamesglencarbon.org. We love hearing from you. Please tell your friends about Craving Answers, Craving God. For Pastor Aaron Miller and our production manager, Larry O'Leary, I'm Chuck Rattle.